0: Okay, we're going to look at 15 to, to the last part of your growing up years, and it should sure goes to 30, you know. Um, um, and we're going to have a little bit of time of ministry at the end, for, especially for generational things, because um, in the, the generational um, uh, um, difficulties that we inherit, the, the leanings toward weaknesses in certain areas. Um, if, you, if you look up iniquities, it doesn't mean sin. Iniquities means um, a bent or a twistedness in a certain direction that's destructive. Or negative. Um, we're weakened because of what generations past have given over to the enemy. He, he's given him territory that we've inherited and we now have to reclaim, as our, as our brother said. We have to reclaim what the enemy's taken. And when we reclaim it, the Lord will restore it to us. And, and, and we have the authority then to shut down the curses that we've inherited and their weaknesses. Fifteen years old is three to five again. Here we are. And um, in the three to five year old stage, that's when you're forming your identity. And you're getting, you know, uh, you're beginning to dif- dif- differentiate girls and boys, but in a very, you know, childlike way. When you get to be 15, your bodies are maturing, you're, you're beginning to develop, and, and in your um, maturing process as a male or female, and you're, you know, you're beginning to um, come into a greater maturity of your understanding of who you are. Um, if there's been any brokenness or any woundedness or confusion, that came into your sexual identification, it'll show up more clearly now. Um, so there's lots of people that, um, from the what we talked about yesterday, the emotional bonding with mom or dad, that are confused or or not so secure in their identity, not because they may be homosexual or, or um, have a homosexual preference, but because they're they're um, confused. There's a lot of sexual confusion. It's not. Um, Uh, distortion, it's confusion. You're not secure because there's some things you're not clear about in terms of how to identify with who God made you to be. Um, And there's different variations. This is something we have to remember too. There's variations of expression of what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a man. Um, not all men are, you know, six foot five and, you know, big muscly guys. There's there's men that are, are tall and lean, There you know, they're different variations. David was a warrior, but he was a worshipping warrior. He was a poet as well as a warrior. And so we, we have to understand that the expressions of our giftings and things about who, through who we are, um, don't classify us as male or female, but they're just different expressions of maleness and femaleness. Paul was a gritty little Jewish guy, you know, and um, Jesus was a carpenter, a very powerful man. He would have had to be. They They used to cut down the trees before they made anything with them. So he would have been, in our time, a lumberjack. You know, Jesus would not have had a following of those very strong, rough kind of fisherman types if he was wimpy. He, you know, they're not going to follow a wimp, but they're going to follow somebody that's strong and powerful like they are. So, you know, so. But there's different expressions. David was different t- type of, of expression of a ma- manhood, and so, in in women, there's there's Ruth and Esther's, and there's Deborah's. The Deborahs are tend to be more strong and more um, authoritative. They're not less womanly. They're just different in their expression of their womanliness. So, learning how to who God made us to be and being free in our identity as a man or a woman. And free to express that is really important, um, and not trying to change each other, you know, into something we're not. Um, your, your gifts and talents to have nothing to do with your your sexual identity or your uh, gender identity. Um, we, when we talk about the three to five year olds, that's one of the major concerns we have. It's uh, social skillfulness is also important, and we talked about that this morning. That there's a real need for personal relationship with face to face, eye to eye contact. Um, we can lose our our um, opportunities and our our um, expression of intimacy with each other if we lose that face to face and eye to eye contact. Um, I remember I was in Hong Kong. And I was watching this one young couple, and they're both texting at a piece of place across the table from each other. And, I'm th- and they were two teenagers, and I thought, and they looked like they were together, like a couple. And then finally, she looked up. She said, "What do you mean by this?" I went. They're sitting at the same table and texting each other or tweeting each other, tweeting or whatever. And I thought, oh, dear God, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, so I'll tell you one thing. If, if you have an emotional issue, do not text, tweet or email. It's not, you'll have a bigger problem afterwards. It's much better if you've got an emotional thing to discuss or relationship thing, you do it in real life and real time. That's the only way. Because you can have immediate feedback and reaction or clear things up and avoid confusion and misunderstandings and bigger problems, you know. Um, So don't try to resolve things by any kind of texting, tweeting, twittering, whatever they do, you know. Or there's a couple other things you do. Snapshot or snap something. You know, snap text, text snap something. There you go. That one. Uh, there's a. There are more coming. It's like you know. It's kind of like an amoeba. It keeps growing. You know. But anyway. Um, no, I don't mean that in the wrong way. It's you know. It's very interesting. All these things, but don't let them eat up all your time. Um, okay. So anyway. Um, but we do need to you know really focus on social and and relationship skillfulness. Um, I don't think it's possible to tweet the Holy Spirit. You know. So you're going to need to. Practice what is the relationship and personal connection with, with the Lord and stay in contact with him. It, it requires being quiet and being still and making a place in your in your busy life. We have a lot of distractions. We have a lot of white noise in our lives. And um, it's not as easy in our time to make that quiet place for the Lord. But we need to do deliberately, you know, what do you say, deliberately plan and structure time that's, uh, that's quiet and away from the noise to hear him. Otherwise, you know, what usually happens is you have these conferences with the Lord in the middle of the night because it's the only time you can get your attention is the middle of the night when you're <laughs> not doing something else. So if you want to sleep at night and you'd rather, you know, then you probably need to talk to the Lord and make a space for him in the day, you know, <laughs> so it can get through. Um, y- you know, this is a time when you're not too sure about how to relate socially and so you need more um, modeling and instruction and encouragement how to do that. Um, and so you're in a learning process at 15 years old. You're not really secure. The, you, this is a time when kids like to check your family history, mom and dad's history. You know, well, how do you know you're in love? And when did you meet dad? And who was your first love? Be careful. You know, when somebody, the kids ask your first love, make sure your husband or wife knows who your first love was before the kids ask and they overhear the conversation and go, what do you mean Michael was your first love? Who's Michael? You never told me about Michael. I said he had braces and he lived next door. I mean, you know, no problem. <laughs> you know, just but you know, just you just make sure the kids, your your husband knows the and your wife know the the history, um, because the kids are curious and they want to. What did you do? And you went out and you tell them you took a bus somewhere. Like, what? You know, uh, you know, the, the, it's our cake. I love when they tell them that there used to be no cell phones. They can't even imagine such a thing. You know that there weren't any. Uh, smartphones, not only cell phones, smartphones. I don't know about you guys, but th- the older generation. I had a stupid phone for a while, one of those flip phones that doesn't do anything except make phone calls. That's a stupid phone. Doesn't do GPS. Doesn't do anything. You have to get a smartphone to really do things. You know that's what I found out. But anyway, and they stopped making stupid phones, so I was stuck. I had to buy a smartphone. Um, So anyway, um, 15, but this is another time where relationship becomes important. Kids need practice, but now with all the technology, they need some real encouragement to turn off the technology and be with their friends in real life, in real time. Um, Sex, sexual relationships and sexual identities comes up at this time, and there's a lot of chatter in the earth realm, a lot of opinions, a lot of information that's floating around, some of it accurate and some of it inaccurate. we need to be clear about our position and understanding, especially for our lives and for our families and for, for keeping a, a, a standard of, of clarity and righteousness in the kingdom. Um, God loves everybody, and he loves us with all of our struggles and sins and all the stuff we're dealing with. He doesn't love us conditionally. He loves us unconditionally, but he defines clearly in the word, what is correct and right and what is not. And we need to understand something. When the Lord defines something as sin, he's not, it's not for condemnation. It's for protection. It's for protection. There are certain things that you know the world says is okay. The Lord says it's not okay. Not because we're evil, bad, wicked, all that stuff. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with when you enter into certain kinds of, of activities and behaviors that God defines as sin, you can be hurt. You know, divorce hurts. Abortion takes life. Um, you know, when, they, when he talks about the sacrifice of the innocents, you know, in in the Old Testament, it's the same today with abortion. You know, and the same spirit is behind it. It's a demonic spirit that takes the life of children, and so. Um, when we get into you know what we call identity, okay, and, and, and just addressing clearly homosexuality, I'll, all I say is what the scripture says about it is the Lord says it's not correct, and the reason is when you th- when you get into that community, you find out that the the, ca- the um, effects of that lifestyle are there's there's t- there's life-threatening diseases, there's um, uh, a lot of family violence, there's a lot of unfaithfulness. It's it's not a stable, healthy thing for God's for how God made us to be. That's why He defines it as it's not right. Okay, not to judge us, not to condemn us, but to tell us this this is gonna lead you into trouble. Yeah, stealing will get you into trouble. You know, there's just there's just He defines for us um, the law is given not to judge. The law is given to set boundaries for our protection, and restriction is for protection. That's all. Now there's some things that have been published that are inaccurate, that you need to know about. There is a, conce- a perception based on some media reports that people have been created as a homosexual. God made them genetically homosexual. That's not what God's word says. We have to stay based in what God says is the truth. Now, how did they come up with that? This is interesting because it was all over the news magazines about 10 years ago, maybe more longer ago, um, that they had discussed, the, the homosexual gene. But the problem is this it does not exist. They were challenged in the research. Their research was flawed. They admitted that they tweaked or cooked the books and, and, and falsified the research. And so, but they did, they, and they put a, a denial or what do you say, a recant into a, the back pages of a science magazine. So they did legally what they were required to do, but after they made the big announcement publicly they didn't recant it publicly so there's a public perception that that's the truth when it's not okay not scientifically the truth and you can research it to find out for yourself what is true is when there's perversion in the generation that's why we're going to deal with this this afternoon when there's perversion in the generation of any kind when the enemy gets in one way he can take that um, influence and pressure and destruction, any direction he wants. So, if he gets in through any sexual sin, from generation to generation, it becomes more and more destructive. Okay, um, in Herod's family, Herod the Great was, you know, he was not such a nice person. Herod Agrippa, by the end of the Herod's line, I think it's Herod Agrippa was in, in a relationship, incestuous relationship with his sister. So, the, so that that perversion, you know, can go different directions. But it brings ultimately destruction. And the destruction of a family line can come out of it. So um, the Lord just is telling us, I just don't want you to be hurt. If you do these kinds of things, it's going it's to bring destruction in your life. We know AIDS is related to um, that type of lifestyle quite heavily and quite strongly. And so, you know, God's, he's not, he, and he's not angry with anybody. He's not mad at anybody. I am, not in, I am not in agreement with the reaction of some Christians with people who struggle in that area. Because it's been, it's been horrifying. The violence and the, and the attacks against people who are really struggling with you know, their own weaknesses. But it's a weakness in a sin area. It's not... There's, we all are guilty. The scripture says we have all come short of the law. There's nobody without guilt. We all struggle with different things. So to come against and attack people viciously like that, even if well, they attack us viciously, you don't repay evil for evil. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be overcoming evil with good. So you do care about people. You do reach out to them. You stay. Don't break relationship with people that are struggling in that area. Stay, because there'll come a time when they're going to need the truth that will set them free. But be clear about what does the Lord say and why he says. If you explain to them or talk to them, this is what God says, because he loves us and he cares for us and he doesn't want us to suffer. That's all. He says don't have sex before marriage. Why? Because without a marriage covenant to protect you, you become one with someone, that relationship most likely will break up if you're, there's no marriage covenant. When it breaks up and you've become one with someone, either emotionally or physically, and you're torn apart, you are torn apart. It is deeply wounding and painful when your relation breaks apart that's come into a place of intimacy that's very deep. Whether it's giving your heart to somebody or giving your whole self to somebody, it's very painful. God's not saying, you know, he's not judging. He's just saying, I don't want you to go through that. I'll heal, I'll restore, I'll make you whole again. He'll fix it all. He'll put you all back in, into your wholeness. He just never wanted you to suffer like that in the first place. He didn't want you to have to go through that, that's all. Because he loves you. He's your father. Yeah? So if you remember that his, his what he says is right and wrong in his word, is just because he loves us and he's trying to protect us. He's our dad. You know? What does your dad say? No, I'm not letting you drive the car late at night with your friends. Because he's going to protect you. We, that's what Father God's like, only more so. Okay? He knows. He created us. He knows what's good for us. He knows what's destructive to us. And so if you think of, in terms of that, and you read the scriptures with that mindset, you'll understand it's his love trying to protect us when he tells us thing, certain things are not right. Okay? Not good for us. Okay? But be, be aware of that. I have a, a, um, not a, a close friend, but someone, I, Frank and I have known, he and his wife over the years, and his daughter now is struggling with homosexuality. And he said, I hope this doesn't break our friendship. I said, no. I th- he said, I, I, I have embraced that community. I feel like I need to pass through them and, and that God loves them. And, but he's not taking a stand biblically. He's, he's coming under the, the current influence of the world position. Um, and he said, I hope this doesn't mean we can't be friends. I said, not at all. I said, no, I don't close off friendship because someone has a, is struggling in an area. Um, but it's, it, he's, it, I understand he's his daughter, he's struggling, he, I'm sure he thinks he did something wrong when his wife died, you know, but he didn't, you know, he just did the best he could. So it's just, I, it's, it's a de- delicate subject, it's very hot on the, on the agenda right now, but it needs to be spoken clearly that we need to stand with what God says is true. And, and because we love, it's because I love you, this is what's true. There were some people that shared, some um, women that had come out of lesbianism and they were sharing and said, if only someone had told them the truth sooner, they could have avoided the pain because they were struggling and, and wondering which way to go with it. They just never got a clear message of what God, what, and understood that God said that because you love them. It's always because of love. Remember that, okay? Not, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. Look in the mirror and do it the, the same way. You're a sinner. Yeah, don't, so don't be pointing fingers. Point your fi- Let's do this just quickly. Point your finger. How many are pointing back at you? Hmm. Don't point your fingers. We've got the same, we're struggling, all of us, with something. So pointing fingers is not helpful. We just need to be, a, we need to be the light in the darkness. We need to be the voice of truth with all the noise you need to listen to the chatter of the third heaven what God is saying and and stand for for what he tells us is right because he loves us when you give people a message that uh, in, based in love and from love they they'll struggle with it they may but they 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 won't resist it they'll take it away from from the conversation don't ever try to talk people out of or into what they're doing it doesn't work just tell them what God says and why because he loves them you know, and that you you will stay in relationship. You will stay connected. And you're not going to close the door and reject them. Yeah? Because um, th- there's going to come a time when there's a crisis. There's lots of crises that happen in that lifestyle. Lots of lots of unfaithfulness. Lots of broken relationships. And when that happens to somebody, you'll be there to help them with the truth. To help them out. Okay? Um, enough said. You get the idea. Just st- You've got to always... In the times coming, discernment's going to be very important, and this is the best source of discernment. You know, because this book was written by the Creator of everything from the beginning, and He's eternal. He knows exactly how everything works and how it doesn't. And when we stick with what He says is right, we'll be okay. And when we get off, and when some, when you have gotten off into the destructive things, all He says, I love what He says it immediately in First John one seven. That's another place in my Bible that falls open. First John one nine actually. Um, if you'll confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's like all, he's, what, all he all you to do is repent. And he's right there to forgive. And put you right back in order and, and make you whole again. And he just doesn't want us to go through all the pain and agony. That's all. Because he loves you. He's your dad. Okay? All right. So 15 years old. You're, you're getting matured in your you know, identity and your sexual identity. And hopefully you've had a very clear and, and healthy modeling. If not... Um, whatever deficits are there, the Lord can put it right. He knows how to father us and how, how to give us the the, um, the role models that we need to come into a healthy um, identity and how he made us to be. Um, 16 to 30 years old is your skill development. And that's when you're finishing your studies and you're taking care of your, um, you know, refining your, your gifts and talents. And may, uh, maybe, you know, they say 30 because sometimes your studies, if you're in medicine or some of these more, Intensively um, uh, demanding disciplines. It takes longer than, you know, till 20, 21, 22, and you have to go on in your studies until you get masters and doctorates. And so, some, by 30, though, you should be kind of on your own feet. If you're still living with your mom after 30, you need to move out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's time to go. You know, mom, change the furniture, you know, you know put in an uncomfortable you know, hide a bed or something that, you know. But you don't want to encourage dependency um, of adult children. It's not healthy. And I, when I, I know in our time we've had um, our kids, some of our nieces and nephews have stayed at home longer than they wanted because they couldn't really get jobs to, to um, take care of their, their response, to their needs. But, um, you yeah, know, unless there's really unusual circumstances, they need to be moving on. And they definitely need to be taking care of themselves, you know, um, learning how to do their own laundry, cooking, basically, things like that. Um, yeah, very important. Those, amazing with those practical things add up to. Um, when you're, um, when you're through in the fifteen year old stage, you also need to refine. Remember, if you can get confused in your perceptions of of reality, you need to have that reinforced. Um, sometimes when we don't have clear role models. We, our perceptions get distorted, so we need to have clarity and, and someone to accord, help us do a course correction. Kids of 15 are still malleable. They're still developing. They can still be impacted and um, helped in their, in their identity formation in a clear way. The, the men will identify with, young men will identify with their fathers or father figures. Women will identify with their moms. And they'll practice with the, um, the parent of the opposite sex or, the, or someone there. And as I mentioned, if you are a single mom or dad, you do need to have someone help in that modeling perception. You can't, as a man, model for your daughter, and you can't model as a, as a, um, for your son in the areas they need. So you're going to need some support in that area. Um, what kids are deciding now are their real-life values. Um, you are determining watching your family and other people's families and what you learn from your own friendships, what kinds of values you want to live your life by. And we, if we as Christians and believers want our kids to be strong believers, we have to demonstrate and live that out in our lives. We can't just tell the kids, you know, oh, go to church and, you know, and I, I don't want to catch you smoking. You, got, you know, smoking will kill you. It'll just kill you. It's very dangerous, you know. They're going to do what you do, not what you say. Yeah. So you did what your parents did. You didn't do what they said. So we, the model, modeling is the most effective way of communicating and transmitting to the kids what, what you, they need to do and what they should be doing. Um, legalism. It comes up again at this stage as well, at 15. Um, if you're legalistic and religious, it's going to start popping up and maturing at this because uh, it's a five-year-old issue, and it, that's one of the, re, the things that revives at this time. Um, when you are in... I'd like you to look at a scripture that Jesus talked about in Mark 7. Let's look at Mark 7 for a minute, because um, he talks about traditions, and we're going to be breaking generational curses, and some of those curses come from not only family traditions and cultural traditions, but church traditions, okay? Um, he was speaking to the religious leaders when he, when he was talking about this, and... Um, he really called them on a few things, which is interesting. But he was telling them the danger of, the, um, of traditions, okay? It says, these people, let's see, where is it? Pharisees, okay, so Pharisees, and, uh, the, this is verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't you disciples follow the old age traditions? I love that. They, call, they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And I love Jesus, he said... You hypocrites. <laughs> Jesus was loving. some Sometimes tough loving. But anyway, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. When he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That's what religious traditions are. They're man-made teachings that are taught as the commands of God when they're not. Okay, For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own traditions. For instance, and he gives him a for instance, an example. Um, And then a little bit further down in verse 12, it says, in this way, um, let's let's see, where is it? 13. And so you cancel the word of God, or you make the word of God of no effect in order to hand down your own traditions and that's that you do many things like this. When we put tradition over God's truth, we go into bondage. And the word of God does not, doesn't have the power that we need it to have in our lives. So it's always a choice. If you stay in your traditions, you're gonna stay stuck. If you choose the truth, you're gonna rise up out of the out of that bondage into greater freedom and greater wholeness. And that's what God wants for us. But the traditions that they seem kind of you know, harmless. They're not. They're roadblocks in your in your progression and in, in your spiritual development and your relationship with the Lord. And so that those it becomes then much more serious to hold on to religious traditions. Um, Sixteen to thirty. Um, this is when you're, if you haven't really broken, you know, got, been encouraged in your family to stand on your feet and take responsibility for yourself, you're going to be immature. There's a lot of people that. They're little, they're little people in big bodies if you know what I mean they're like little kids in big bodies because they haven't really matured into taking responsibility for themselves um, they haven't grown into their relationship skills and, not, and being able to take their place we, we, we need to come out of our immaturity and begin to become men and women of God and, so that we can carry the authority of Christ as we're meant to um Passive-aggressive behaviors can often develop at this stage or they actually start younger at 6 to 12 and they go on. Passive-aggressive behavior is what often happens in, in a person or in a community where anger is not allowed. Passive-aggressive is like guerrilla warfare. It's like you're angry and irritated but you can't be angry and irritated openly with someone so you do something to be difficult. So, you know, your mom wants you to move quick, and, and the little kid's passive-aggressive, and he says, you know, mom says, come on, come on, we got to go. I'm coming. I'm coming. Come on, come on, come on, we got to go. Come. I'm moving just enough to say I'm moving, but I'm not cooperating. That's passive-aggressive. We go and, we drive in, in Arizona. We drive on in the Indian reservation, and when you drive onto the Indian reservation, that's no longer American territory. That's Indian territory. You know, that's a, a Native territory, and that means their rules. And I promise you, every time there's a white man that crosses over into their territory, the car in front goes down to five miles an hour. It's going. Mm, and suddenly, they see a white man behind him. We go. Mm, mm, and you are. You can't pass. You just go. Mm. I'm moving. Just not as fast as you want to go. <laughs> you, know? you know? So passive-aggressive is doing things that ir- irritate. What you do when you're passive-aggressive is you're angry. You don't really believe you can be angry openly, so you shift your anger to the other person by making them uncomfortable. It's it's guerrilla warfare. And it's not healthy. <laughs> so if you find that, you know, you don't get mad, you get even. The mafia is great at it. We don't get mad, we get even. Frank used to say, Don't you better pray that Italians don't backslide. They kill people. You know? <laughs> Not everybody, but you know, but you know, you know, so I mean just you know, there, there's ways the other thing we laugh about is that the Indians started doing casinos. They started building casinos. They found a new way to scalp the white man. It's true. I mean and, and you know, I understand. There's there's unresolved stuff, hurts and and injustices that they struggle with. They're struggling with injustices. But that we've got, that's why we're having big reconciliation conferences and meetings and, and healing times, because there is a, a need for for the Europeans to ask forgiveness for the people that the people of the land and you know and re, bring reconciliation. So that we stop this you know passive-aggressive stuff we're going through with each other, um, you know, and that probably is applicable in this situation, you know. And you guys, I know, have been in that process of, you know, actually it's quite a miracle what happened. Um, when the nation was was uh, restored back um, to the people of the land, it was, you know, I was in Scotland. We remember seeing it. It was just a, it was the hand of God was on it. It was a, a miracle that it was a bloodless transfer. It was wonderful. But there's a lot of healing that's needed. Just because things are, have been forgiven, let me say this: forgiveness is only one level of reconciliation. Then there's a need for healing the hurts. Okay, both sides, both. I guess there may be more than two sides but there's a need for healing the hurts of the heart that have happened because of injustices um forgiveness is great and that does bring a level of healing and release but then there's a need for the deeper level and that's important too and God cares about us as people I remember clearly you know there were things that happened with my dad because um he struggled with alcoholism for a while my mom prayed him free it was pretty an amazing experience to watch but anyway she prayed him free and he got free but um and I, after he was free, you know, and he was straight, he was sober and straight and everything. And I love my dad. He's a great guy. You know, when he wasn't drinking, he was brilliant, you know. So he was wonderful. And so I always felt like I can't, you know, the Lord, I always remember I was in, the, in my kitchen with, the, you know, green dishes, and, I, and the Lord said, uh, you know, you need, to, you need healing. I said, well, about your dad. I said, oh, I I've forgiven my dad. He said, I know you've forgiven your dad, but what about your broken heart? You know, oh, and he got me. You know, it was like, because he now he was clear and straight and fine, I just felt like, okay, that's past, and let it go, and forgive him. And But I had been hurt during that period of time, and I still needed healing, and God knew I did. And so it's like, yes, you're forgiven. Yes, it's great. Yes, that's clear. But, and, <laughs> let's talk about your broken heart and all the things that happened in that painful period. And it was amazing. I mean, when I, once the healing came, I was even more... Um, restored in a, in a more clear way to my dad. And as someone mentioned earlier about, you know, you've discovered God, Father God is your eternal father. Now what do I do with my natural dad? Well, let's say this. Father God is our eternal father. He is the eternal father for all of us. He gave us life and breath or we wouldn't be here. He's our true father. Jesus did not dishonor our parents. He, he, he honored them. But to honor them is, is to just, it's an unconditional respect and acceptance of them even if they're broken and have never changed. Yeah, That we love them and honor them because they're our parents. Not for anything they've done, not done, failed to do. Um, we, we love and honor them simply because they're our natural parents. And when God is our father, he'll make us capable of doing that. Because we have the security and everything we need from our eternal father. We don't need anymore to, to receive from our natural parents, we can become the, the, the conduit of life to them. You know I remember clearly there was a, a strong healing um, with my dad when he felt like i didn 't want him to make up for all the years that he didn 't do what he needed to do for me, that he felt the pressure come off because gotten I was receiving that from Father God and I could give to him. There was a tremendous release in our relationship. And a healing and a restoration. It's a process. So get grounded in your relationship with Father God. Know that he's your true and eternal father. And, and then you can love your parents and honor them just because they're your parents. Not for anything they've done or not done. Even if they're still broken. and Even if they're still in darkness. It's amazing how when you start seeing through the eyes of Jesus, you see people differently. When you understand brokenness and, and woundedness and, and bondage, you can look at people through the eyes of mercy and grace as God looks at us. I would ask God, how do you feel this person? When i see through his eyes, it was totally different. Totally different. Okay. All right. Um, we're going to do one demonstration before we go to pause, and then we're going to go to coffee, and we'll just take a short 15-minute break and then come back and do a couple more things, and I'd, I'd like to have a time of prayer ministry to get rid of our generational stuff <laughs> and any misperceptions we might have about sexuality that God wants to Remove any bondages or blocks or confusion so we can have the clarity of what he says is true founded in our hearts. Okay? So, Archie, could you come up? Archie's going to be Jesus. And now I need two people to volunteer. Now, I have to admit, one person's going to have to be the devil for a few minutes, but I promise I set you free. I promise I'll set you free. I mean, I don't want you to get. get, Well, I know what I'll do. Somebody on my team, you can be the devil, because I know I can set you free. Who would like to be the devil? No, Never mind How about, Christian I'll just volunteer you Okay all right. I, I'll pick up my team Because I, I know I can set them free They'll be fine <laughs> Yeah So um, You're just going to be personifying But you're not You're not At all The enemy <laughs> no, Okay So you're going to come up here Okay And then we need one other person Okay You're just going to be the normal person One of us <laughs> Just a normal everyday person Okay great Okay Now, like I said before, there's, a, there's a, a good thing about seeing things visually. Okay, all right, here we go. We're going to do a scripture, and then I'm going to ask you which one you think it is, okay? All right, and when you see the scripture, I want you to know when this, the Bible says it's the truth. When you put it into action is when it will come real to you. Do you remember this, the word we had earlier this week? It said, I want you to really know me, and experience, but I want you to experience me in your, in your mind, in your heart, in your, in your being. He wants us to come into a, uh, he he wants us to get it. We read the word. We got to get it. And how we get it is putting it into action. Okay. You can do this in your own, own life the same way. And it'll become more real to you. Okay. So Archie is Jesus. And it's John. John is one of us. She's just a normal person. Okay. And our dear friend Christian here is going to be the spirit of fear for a little while. Not for long. I'm going to set him free as soon as we're done. Okay? He's just portraying the spirit of fear. Okay, so. Action. Uh, <laughs> I myself. Oh, not. let's hear it. Uh, I can myself myself, Jesus. Please, in the name of Jesus. Come Rod, get going, man. Go keep going. No, you don't. No, keep going. Get him. Go get him. Burn his gates. The gates of hell will not prevail. Not Jesus. The man, you, get him. You chase him. Okay, Now listen. The gates of hell, you see? This is what happens. I love it. What scripture is it? The enemy bothers you. What do you do? Commit yourself to Jesus. Resist the enemy and he will... Flee. Flee means, ah! Flee flee isn't like, okay, I'm going. No. He's scared. He's scared to death. Who is he scared to death of? Jesus. Not us. But when we commit ourselves to Christ, we say, you're picking on the wrong person. I got backup. (laughs) You know? know? Get out of here. And off he goes. And then it says, it's it's interesting. It says in, in, in Psalm 18, thank you. Be free. Christian, you are not the spirit of fear. In Jesus' name, you are a mighty man of God. Praise the Lord. We cleanse him by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. I want to make sure to do the cleanup. All right. that's, but that's what happens. Practice. You know, the enemy bothers you, take your stand, the Scripture says. Resist the enemy. He will flee. Flee means he runs in terror. See it. See the back of your enemy going, ah, ah! not even, you know, because he's scared of Jesus. Jesus beat him up real bad at Calvary, real bad. He stripped it. You know, at the end of this, I love, there's a, there's a last picture of, of, of Jesus taking all, you know, the passion of the Christ where the enemy's thrown in the pit and he loses everything and he's just, <laughs> he just is, he, yeah, he's, he's lost completely. And if we don't buy his, his lies, he can't get back in. And shut down those doors. Wherever he's moving, wherever he's bothering you, find out how. You go to the Lord. You find out what's going on. Get the strategy. Overcome him. Slam that down and go on in strength. Go. We go from strength to strength, glory to glory. We're getting stronger. He's getting weaker. That's the that's the plan. A quick, if you're in trouble, need to pray quick about healing. Three steps. Okay. In the book, it gives you a more detailed kind of walking through the process of a deeper healing. Um, but these are very good for just in your daily prayer time together um, with the Lord. If, if he brings something up that he wants you to deal with, um, the process is very simple. Like I said before, you don't have to have the answers, you just need to know the questions. And it always starts with the, what you know about what's happening in your life today. What's the problem or challenge that you're dealing with today today? In your life, you know that you, you're dealing with it. It's it's a daily, you know, it's it's a you're aware of it. So when you start with that, that's the fruit. And to get to the root, you ask the Holy Spirit, where did it start in my life? You know, um, and in your childhood. And when you work through that, and He shows you where it is, invite Jesus to come and show you what the Father really wanted. And He will relive that experience with you. Um, and and really show you what should have been according to God's perfect will, not what did happen that broke you and, and, and wounded you, okay? Um, in the past generations, whatever our family or members of our family have entered into, um, and the, if it was before they knew Christ, it, it talks about in Ephesians, do you remember, Lord? Yeah, that's it. There was a time... Um, That you are strangers to the covenant and without God and without hope in the world. That's in in Philippians 3. And he's describing, Paul's talking about people before they were believers, Gentiles before they were believers. And um, so if our family line, if they converted to Christianity along the way somewhere, but before that they were not Christians, they were under the influence of paganism or pagan spirits or social, you know, humanism, whatever, um, it's all, there is all spiritual demonic forces behind all that stuff. So, you know, humanism, is, is there's demonic forces and spirituality behind that as well. So anything they were into that was not under the lordship of Jesus Christ made an open door for the enemy. Now, they might have repented and left that and come into Christ, but the inheritance of the curses that have come from what has gone before, very often it was not understood that they had to be broken, Okay. There had to be not forgiveness just for yourself, but for past generations. In, in the book, you'll see it describes the generational um, understanding of how these things come on our life. Daniel 9, in Daniel, God, Daniel was crying out to God because, he said, you know, 70 years, Jeremiah said, we'd be back in the land. What's happening? Why are we still in Babylon? And he was given to understand that no one had asked forgiveness for the forefathers, for the sins of the forefathers. Daniel was not responsible. We're not responsible or guilty for the sins of our forefathers, but we inherit the consequence. And the wages of sin is death. There's curses and negative influences from whatever sins they entered into in the past. If they weren't believers and they were pagan worshipers or ancestral worshipers or whatever, those demonic powers have legal, and they're legalists, have legal access not to... um, they, how do you say this? They can't block you from Christ, but they can bother you and and give you a difficulty as you as you're moving on in your walk. We have to ask forgiveness for those practices of past generations. There have been dedications of genera of um, form- oh, what do you say? Generations to come that have left curses in our life. Freemasonry is is famous for this. You know, they do what they call prophecy, but it's actually divination. And they're binding future generations to Freemasonry. Freemasonry is a a spiritual force, it's a demonic force. And so it needs to be broken, okay? Dedications and um, the effects of of any pagan worship that have come into our lives and they're bothering us or hindering us or blocking us. Um, Those things in the spiritual realm. And then there's the, the sin areas where there's consequences of sin and curses that come from sin. And we ask God to forgive the former generations, just as Daniel did, and then the curse can be broken. I've heard, you know, many people say, well, I broke that curse, I broke that curse. But you cannot break the curse without repentance. Repentance is the way for forgiveness. God will always forgive, but we've got to repent. Repent. And so we're repenting. Not for we're not guilty, but we're standing like Daniel did for the, his forefathers to ask God to forgive what they did because he inherited it. And then the curse can be broken, and then you can really be free. And that's that's why we we're going to pray in the way we are. Um, and I, I'm going to guide you in that because it's it's a step by step thing. And, and then there's a scriptural understanding and explanation of it in the book that you can go back and check out. But everything is is grounded on what the word says is the process. Um, Jesus, yes, it says in Galatians 3.13, he became a curse for us to set us free from the curse of the law. And he's given us authority over all the power of the enemy. But we have to take it and apply it. Or it doesn't have an effect. Did Jesus die for all men? Yes. Yes. Are all men saved? No. Why? Because it has to be received and taken and applied to your life. Okay? There's a part we have in it. So it's available. It's there. And, the, and the breaking the curses is the same way. That's why we, do, we deal with generational curses that way. Okay? Just so you understand. Okay. Now, this is an important scripture because this scripture you might have heard as a, a, a way people say they never need to, you know, deal with things in the past. Okay? It's, because Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind. I strain forward for what is ahead in Christ Jesus. It's a high calling of Christ Jesus. Okay. Forgetting. Now, this is important. Is the, is the, the, script, is the explanation of that on that PowerPoint or no? No? Okay. All right. That's right. You can check it out yourself. The word forgetting comes from the... Is, it means to let it fall out of your mind, like we understand. But it comes from a root word. And in the Greek and in the Hebrew... To get the full understanding of the context, you have to go back and include the meaning of the root word. Okay, So forgetting means let it fall out of your mind. It comes from forget, which is to superimpose a new image over the original image. Now, who is into photography? You have an original image. When you superimpose another image over that image, does it stay the same or does it change? It changes. What's being superimposed? And in the in the Hebrew, the, the, uh, there is a Hebrew uh, context that it relates to. The first letter, and somebody explained this to me. The first letter of that Hebrew word "forget" also says it's it's a supernatural or eternal effect. So what is it saying? What is being superimposed into the old picture? The presence of who? Jesus. When the presence of Jesus is superimposed into the original image, the whole, the whole image and the whole effect changes. So the, you can let it fall out of your mind because you superimpose a new image over the old image and the Lord transforms it. It's a different picture altogether. So it's easy to forget the original image. It, lies, it goes on to say it, it lies hidden, aware, and disappears. The original image. That's what you've been experiencing. And It's biblical. You can do a word study on that word to, to settle it in your own heart if you're struggling with that. It actually says that in Scripture. That's how, that's how the process happens. It's wonderful. And, and so when God does that, he does an eternal, um, supernatural work. As it relates back to the, the word, a comparable word in the, in the Hebrew so it's, one, it's, it's, it's what God does when his presence enters in. When his presence comes into your spirit the first time, you're dead, <coughs> and you're alive, makes a big change. And then the change continues through your, the renewing of your mind and the changing of your, your heart and soul. So we're going to do a grand finale and get rid of all the generational inheritances and baggages that you're aware of. And if it comes, some other things come up later, just go to the book and follow the, the prayer and get rid of it. And you're going to offload something. Some of you will leave 10 kilos behind you Okay, so let's go and, and kind of focus in on our hearts for a time of prayer. And, um, yeah, and let the Lord just do the transformational work. He needs to praise you, Lord God.